We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, the topic is worldview, philosophy, religion, the lens through which we look at all of life. I'm going to circle back and talk about the four pillars of a biblical worldview, a worldview that pursues truth rather than celebrate opinions. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you for listening into the show. As I said in the introduction, today's topic is worldview. How do we look at life? How do we view the world? What's your philosophy? What's your religion? What is your highest good? What's the lens through which you look at all of life's situations, whether they be political, whether they be religious, whether they be moral, ethical, whether they be economic? How do you view the events that are taking place in your daily life? All of us have lenses through which we look at things. You can't get away from that. You sift the things that you experience on a daily basis through a grid. It's called a worldview. And that grid helps you make sense out of things. Some of you may embrace a grid that's called Marxism, and therefore you look at class conflict as being the grid through which you analyze everything. That's how we get critical race theory. That's how we get critical theory, Black Lives Matter, even LGBTQIA. It's grounded in conflict, intersectionality, trigger warnings, microaggressions. This language is the result of a worldview that brings situations into our vision that we then analyze and assess based on our assumptions that we bring to the table. If you have a postmodern worldview, you would argue that there is no such thing as objective truth, that everything is a construct of society and culture, and truth is what you believe it to be, not what it actually is. If you have a modernist worldview, you would argue there is truth, but it's only those things that you can taste and touch and see and feel and hear. In other words, you have to have empirical proof. And if you don't have that proof from the hard sciences, then you can't claim that it's true. That would be a modernist worldview. Now, a pre-modern worldview would be one where you believe that there is a supernatural revelation to all of humanity things that we just know are so because they've been revealed to us by God. And you could argue that this would be the natural law worldview, that there is a law that is common to all of nature. It's a revelation. You can't get away from it. You can't make things up as you go. And you would also argue, if you're a Christian, that that natural law is confirmed and ratified by revelation, by God's law. Scripture, the Bible, is an authoritative revelation of God to man, and you, you can contradict it if you want, but that doesn't mean you're right and it's wrong. There's a measuring rod outside of those things being measured, and therefore you can do some measuring. 
You know that rape is wrong. You can measure it because of the moral law, your awareness of things that are just wrong and things that are right. You know that slavery was bad. You know that the Holocaust was evil. You can measure these things with a measuring rod outside of society because you would argue and I would argue that any society that embraces the Holocaust as a moral good is an evil society and objectively so. That measurement of evil is not just a cultural construct. There's something more permanent, enduring, immutable, and true with a capital T about the fact that the Holocaust was evil, about the fact that slavery is wrong about the fact that rape is not a good thing. We all know these things to be true. Well, how so? Can you taste it, touch it, feel it, see it, and hear it? No, but you still have a moral awareness. The Apostle Paul calls it the truth of God written on every human heart. So again, today's topic is worldview. And after we take a break, I'm going to go back and remind you about the four pillars of a biblical worldview And I'm going to talk about the lesson of four and how you analyze things through these four seminal issues, these four primary issues that help you and I understand what's right and wrong and real and true and false and fake. I'm Dr. Everett Piper and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one-year maintenance and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, so welcome back to The Rebellion. So before the break, I gave you a very quick overview of pre-modernity, modernity, modernity, and post-modernity. Again, very quickly, pre-modernity is the supernatural, modernity is the simply natural, and post-modernity is superman, the ubermensch. Now, what do I mean by that? Pre-modern is supernatural. There was assumed to be a revelation from outside of man, outside of mankind. There were laws that were given to us through the natural law or the revealed law of God. We just knew certain things were true, and morality was based on those assumptions of supernatural knowledge and revelation. This was true up until the Enlightenment. And then Nietzsche and Kant and Hume come along, and all of a sudden, 
we have the simply natural, modernity. And this was a time that uh, essentially it isn't true unless you can test it in a tube. Only the hard sciences lead you to truth. So the sciences deal with the brain, but religion deals with the heart. This was what was claimed during the modern era. And a lot of us are still affected by that. We grew up in the shift, if you will, the crossover from pre-modernity to modernity. And we were somehow convinced, even from the pulpit, that religion, your faith, your Christianity, is a matter of heart. But because you can't taste it, touch it, see it, and feel it, you can't prove that God exists, you just have to have faith. So rationality is out of the question. In fact, we started disparaging rationality and making it a bad thing rather than a good thing. Thus, my friend Harry's critique of my weekend column in the Washington Times, where he calls me for, to task for defending the resurrection as a historical fact. And he's saying the rational process by which I, I did that was heresy. And that faith is a matter of faith, pure and simple. It is, a ma- it is not a matter of reason. And when we make Christianity reasonable, we're ignoring the fact that God gives us faith in a supernatural way. Uh, I obviously disagree with that. Uh, I think the argument that faith is faith and it's not reason is a rational argument in and of itself, and therefore it's self-refuting. You can't argue that rationality is unreasonable without using rational presuppositions to make that point. So you can't engage in the conversation without employing reason and rationality to condemn reason and rationality. Does that make sense? All right. So pre-modernity, supernatural. Modernity, simply natural. And then post-modernity is the superman. Why do I say that? Because in the postmodern era, which is the era in which we now live, it's every man is a law unto himself. It's all up to you. Everything is subjective. Nothing is objective. If you, if you feel like it, that makes it so. If you feel like you're a woman, even though you're a man, that's so. If you feel like the climate is in trouble, even though uh, the data might suggest otherwise, and the IPCC has been caught faking its data to try to make the case for climate change and global warming. You raise your hand in a rational way and say, wait a second, I don't believe this stuff. Well, you're the problem because others feel like the earth is dying, and therefore it is. So if you feel like you're a man and you're a woman, you are. If you feel like you're a woman and you're a man, you are. If you feel like you're a child, even though you're an adult, you are. If you feel like you're purple, even though you're Caucasian, you're purple. I mean, it gets crazy, and you can see it in the daily news. And it's it's essentially calling evil good and good evil. It's what the prophet Isaiah warned us of. I mean, just this past weekend, Joe Biden goes out on the circuit in the major talk shows, and he calls the restrictions that some states are imposing on transgender transition therapies and surgeries for minors, children, 10-year-olds, 14-year-olds. Joe Biden calls restrictions, laws against mutilating those children, and compromising their physical maturation process with hormone injections and puberty blockers and actual surgery to remove functioning organs. Joe Biden calls those of us who want to stop that atrocity sinful. He actually said we are sinning by stopping that. Talk about good, evil, and evil good. Talk about turning the world upside down. This is a Mad Hatter's world where everything that is right is now wrong and everything that we know to be wrong is now right. 
This is Joe Biden getting caught on the horns of post-modernity, where power determines what we will do. And that was actually Joe Biden's solution. We need more laws. We need to make it illegal for states like Florida or Oklahoma or Arkansas or Tennessee to stand in the way of these butchers who want to experiment on minors by removing their functioning organs. We need to make it illegal for these (laughs) moral people, these people that actually care about children, we need to make it illegal for them to step in the way. We need to make their laws prohibiting transgender surgeries and therapies on minors. We need to make it illegal for them to protect the children. Again, calling evil good and good evil. So anyway, I've given you the postmodern, modern, and pre-modern summary here. And I've talked about worldview. And what's another word for worldview? Well, you might call it philosophy. You might call it the lens through which you look at all of life. Essentially, it's how do you answer the questions of daily living? Should you steal? Okay, if the answer is no, you have a worldview that led you to that conclusion. If the answer is yes, you have a worldview that led you to the conclusion that it doesn't matter. You can take somebody else's property and there's nothing wrong about that. In fact, it's even a virtuous thing, you might argue. There's a worldview that led you there. You can't get away from the fact that everybody um, essentially worships a God. You either worship the God that's well-defined in the Bible, or you're going to worship a God, like I've said a thousand times over on this show, a God that you see in the mirror. Everybody is going to worship somebody or something. Bob Dylan, you're going to worship somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to worship somebody. Okay, so let's get back to the four components, the lesson of four, if you will. The four components, pillars, foundation stones, cornerstones of a worldview. Now, I've talked to you before about Chuck Colson's worldview. He said that every philosophy, every religion, every worldview answers four basic questions. So whether you're a Buddhist or a Baptist, an Anglican or an atheist, your worldview answers these four basic questions, according to Chuck Colson, and I agree with him. These questions are origin of man, where do you come from, how did you get here, nature of man, are you good or are you evil, Um, redemption of man, how do you solve the problem if there is one, And then finally, the fourth one is responsibility of man. What's your responsibility in in terms of your daily interaction with others as you're alive here on planet Earth? What's your responsibility in light of your answer to the previous three questions? So let me go back over that again. Origin of man. Are you the product of the primordial soup? Did you rise out of the swamp? Did you just evolve from an amoeba? You grew fins and then you grew legs and then you... Uh, transition from having gills to having lungs? And did your eyes just develop, your ears just develop? Did you come out of the soup like every other biological mass that exists on the planet today? And if so, you've got to draw this conclusion. You have no moral significance or worth over and above a dog, a pig, a cat, a cow, or a virus for that matter. Why should you win and the Ebola virus lose? Why should the COVID virus be conquered by human beings? Shouldn't the equation be reversed? What gives you any right or privilege or reason to exist over and above the lesser, if you will, forms of biological life that exist on earth? 
those are interesting questions. Now, you might say, well, that's absurd. Of course, we should try to stop a virus from killing all human beings. Why? You have to answer the question. Why? Do you have greater value than other organisms, other forms of life here on Earth? Are you of greater value than a dog? Are you of greater value than a cow? Are you of greater value than a virus or some other contagion? You get my point. So origin of man, it's very important how we answer that question. If you buy into radical Darwinism, then you have to conclude you have no significance. You are of no greater worth than anything else that's around us. And frankly, you could be the problem. There could be an overpopulation of the problem organism. And maybe the solution would be to decrease the numbers of that organism. Get rid of 40%, 50%, 60%, or even 90% which is exactly what Eric Pianca, a scientist from the University of Texas, was arguing when he received the Texas Academy uh, of Science Award, the year that he was scientist of the year. He said the Earth is dying because there's an overpopulation of the problem organism, and that problem is humanity, too many human beings. He then went on to argue that we need a 90% reduction in that problem. Otherwise, the Earth, the planet, will die. Now, you want to raise your hand and ask the question, don't you, Mr. Pianca, Dr. Pianca, are you in the 10% or the 90%? I suspect he probably thinks he's part of the solution rather than the problem, but uh, what's that mean with regard to you? What's he saying about your existence, my existence? Should you be part of the solution, the ultimate solution of getting rid of the problem? This is essentially what the Nazis did. This is essentially what communism does. You've got too many people that are a problem, so you get rid of them because they have no value, because communism is grounded in what? Radical Darwinism. Human beings are no longer of any significance or worth. You're not the Imago Dei. You're not created in the image of God. You're essentially the Imago Dog. You're created in the image of the animal because that's all you are, an evolved animal. Um, You're nothing different than a dog, a pig, a cat, a cow, a horse. You are simply biology. There's nothing, there's nothing in terms of you having any significance or worth that makes you any different than anything else. Okay, so origin of man, nature of man. Okay, so what's your answer to that question? Well, if you say you rose up out of the soup, then you probably think your nature, moral nihilism. There's no such thing as good or evil. Everything's relative. It's all dictated by survival of the fittest. So if the fittest survive, that's good. But if the weak die, that's also good. There's no moral standard other than just basic power, basic conquest and survival. Uh, The fit should prevail because that will perpetuate further evolution toward the ultimate good. But you have to ask yourself the question, what's good and what's evil? Again, nobody knows within that particular paradigm, that worldview. Now, if you believe that you were created by God and you didn't rise up out of the soup, then you're obviously going to answer that question in a different way. You're going to say that the nature of man is broken, that we were created good, but we chose to sin and we've fallen away, and therefore we're compromised by this plague, this plague on our souls, our hearts, and our minds that causes us to always pursue self rather than you know honor and pursue our Savior and our God. So, the, the answer to those two questions, origin of man, nature of man, critical. And then you get to the next one, and that is the redemption of man. So if you have a problem, and I think even if you're an atheist, you would argue we have a problem. For example, Dr. Pianca argues we've got a problem, and that's too many people. 
So he, he's not a nihilist to the extent that he's saying, oh, I just don't care. We have no problems. Que sera, sera, live and let live. We shouldn't even bother to try to save the planet. So even radical leftists believe we have a problem. Communists believe we have a problem. BLM argues we have a problem. LGBTQIA, SJW, CRT argues that there is a problem. So the, the next question is, if there is a problem, Christians would cause it, call it sin, original sin, whereas communists, Marxists, critical theorists would argue that the problem is class conflict. What are you going to do about it? Well, that's the answer to the question. Redemption. What's the redemption of man? How are you going to redeem the situation? How are you going to solve it? And again, it's obvious here. If you are a critical theorist, you're going to solve the problem in a very different way than if you are a Christian. Make sense? And then finally, responsibility of man. So you've got uh, the answer, but now somebody has to carry out the actual activity that will bring the solution into play. And that's your responsibility and mine. If you're a Christian, you believe that it's conversion. It's repentance. It's the fact that every human being falls short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That if we confess that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, this, this is the answer within Christianity. It is look in the mirror and blame yourself rather than look out the window and blame everybody else. But, but you also know that the antithesis of Christianity, critical theory, for example, encourages you not to accept personal responsibility, to, but, but to blame everyone else that crosses your path on a daily basis for all that ails you and all that ails culture. So this is one component of the lesson of, of four. It's the Colson model. Origin of man, nature of man, redemption of man, and responsibility of man. Now, there's another lesson of four that I like, and I've talked about it before. It's what I call the four Ps, the four pillars. The primacy of Christ, the priority of Scripture, the pursuit of truth, and the practice of wisdom. I'll go over those again. The primacy of Christ, Jesus is the Son of God. The priority of Scripture, the Bible is the Word of God. The pursuit of truth, truth is a revelation of God. It's an objective reality. Your job in life is to go out and find more of it understand it and embrace it. However, you don't make truth up as you go. Truth is not an opinion. Truth is a revelation. In fact, as I've said over and over again on this show, opinions are dangerous. They always lead to bondage and slavery. Pol Pot had an opinion. Mao had an opinion. Robespierre had an opinion. Chavez and Hitler and Mussolini had an opinion. Castro had an opinion. All the despots of history had opinions, but those opinions brought great heartache upon millions of people to the point of death. I mean, we have 100 million people minimum that have suffered as the result of Marxist ideas and opinions. Opinions always lead to bondage and slavery and death. But Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus identifies himself as truth with a capital T, not an opinion, not a feeling. He identifies, he tells us that he is the great I am, not the great maybe, but I am. This is how God describes himself, the ultimate objective reality. He is the great I am. The Apostle John tells us that Jesus was the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. 
and that nothing was made that was made without him, the word. So he's defined as the truth, he's defined as the ultimate word, and then in Revelation, Christ himself defines who he is. He tells us that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He actually uses the first letter and the last letter of the alphabet to define himself, describe who he is. So this is truth with a capital T. So again, the primacy of Christ, Jesus is the Son of God. He is who he claims to be, thus my defense of the resurrection this past Easter Sunday. The primacy of Jesus Christ, he is the Son of God. The priority of Scripture, the Bible is the Word of God. It is that standard outside of things that are being measured. It is the measuring rod outside of those things being measured so we can do some measuring. Without the Bible, we are going to digress to the rule of the gang or the tyranny of one. It will all be about power. It won't be about anything that's principled. We'll just add more and more restrictions that are man-made rather than accepting the few rules and laws that are God-given, God-made. So primacy of Christ, priority of Scripture, then the pursuit of truth. As I said, truth with a capital T, it's not about your opinions. It's not about your feelings. The facts don't care about your feelings. Pursue truth. It's out there. It's real. Learn about it. Don't manipulate your daily existence on the basis of your emotions, your opinions, and your feelings. And then finally, after the primacy of Christ, the priority of Scripture, the pursuit of truth, you have to do something about it. You practice what you preach. You practice wisdom. This is critical because you can have your orthodoxy, the right ideas about Christ, Scripture, and truth, but if you don't put them into play on a daily basis with integrity, if you don't integrate head and heart and fact and faith and belief and behavior into an integrated whole human being, you're what? You're a hypocrite. You're segregated in the way you live your life. You separate yourself from those things that you say mean something and that you hold dear. And you don't honor those, therefore people recognize you as not being a man or a woman of integrity. So Christians are integrationists. We believe in integration. We don't believe in segregation. We don't believe in separating things that should be united. We don't separate head from heart or fact from faith or belief from behavior. We actually unify these things, we bring them together, we integrate these things into a holistic, holy way of living. That's why we are called to holiness. So when you practice wisdom, you are sanctified, you're set apart. That's what the word sanctified means in the Bible. You're set apart for what? To live a holy life, an obedient life, a life that is clean and pure and virtuous before God. And that is the only life that brings human freedom and honors human dignity. So you've got the two lessons of four. You've got the Colson model of the origin of man, nature of man, redemption of man, and responsibility of man, answering those questions. And then you have the four pillars, the primacy of Christ, the priority of Scripture, the pursuit of truth, and the practice of wisdom. Can you see that these are the four eyes? You know, a pejorative term for people that wear glasses is four eyes. Well, you're putting an extra set of eyes on, if you will, when you put your glasses on, because you can see better. Uh, your, your, your vision is improved. Well, if you've got the right worldview, these four components of origin of man, nature of man, redemption of man, responsibility of man, as well as Christ, Scripture, truth, and wisdom, if you're looking through 
those lenses, those glasses, those four eyes, if you will, you're going to see the world more clearly, and thus you're going to have more freedom rather than less, more joy rather than less. You're going to pursue happiness, happiness meaning purpose, with greater vitality. And you're going to find that as you're pursuing happiness, and that's grounded in an objective, true understanding of life and liberty, that you will be a more flourishing human being in a flourishing culture. Finally, as we get ready to wrap it up, you have the quadrilateral. That's the third component of four. And the quadrilateral is what? Tradition, reason, experience, and revelation. Tradition. History matters. Your father and mother, your grandfather and grandfather, grandfather and grandmother may have actually known something more than you do. Honor it. Honor tradition. Honor history. Get rid of your chronological snobbery, thinking you know more than everybody that preceded you. You likely don't. History, tradition, same thing. You have reason. You have rational capacities. Use it. My friend Harry is absolutely wrong and self-refuting when he argues rationally that it's wrong to be rational. You have logic and reason at your disposal. Use them. Raise your hand and say, that doesn't make any sense. Raise your hand against others who are compromising um, reason and being fallacious, but also raise your hand against yourself when you look in the mirror and recognize your own errors. Okay, so history, reason, experience. That's the Dr. Phil question. How's that one working for you? And then finally, Revelation. You have to have a trump card on the debate. And scripture, Revelation, is that ultimate trump card. So today, I've reviewed the lesson of four one more time for you. It's important that you have a worldview that makes sense. It's important that you have glasses that are the right prescription for life. And I would argue that the four eyes that I've just shared for you, with you, are the glasses that will give you the right vision on how to live and be free. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.